That's right. It's all about big decisions today on the Turn Dog Podcast. Each and every one of you out there is going to benefit from this conversation. You're going to want to stick around for this because why? Quitting Angelique or giving up doesn't just happen. It's a decision that we all make. And you know what? We're all in a process right now of making major life decisions. Like the song says, should I stay or should I go? That's the subject that we're going to talk about today. But we have a guest on that made a huge decision. A decision that hopefully no one would ever have to make. But it was a pivotal decision in his life. And it changed everything. And I guarantee you, stick around. It's going to inspire you. If you have a decision to make, if you're stuck, guess what? We have a solution for you right here coming up on the Turned On Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. Ah, Angelique, you know, the promised land was a place that God promised to Moses, the land of milk and honey. Um, but what happened? They got stuck along the way. Yeah, they got they stuck for many reasons. <laughs> Well, whether it's your business, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your health, we're all making major life decisions, and we don't want to be stuck or stagnant in a place where we should be what, Ange? Passing through. We should be passing through. Passing through. Much like the Israelites were in the desert, they got stuck along the way. They knew where they mm -hmm. wanted to go, but things happen. Tell them about our guest coming up right now, Angelique. Man. Well, first of all, he's, he's going to inspire you like no other. Okay. Um, but we know him personally. We've been privileged and honored to know him for many years personally. And one of the, the very first time that I met him, I know Ella was already born and we went out to dinner with him. And this will tell you a little bit about him before I give you his bio. At the end of dinner, um, we ended up taking a picture and a couple of other people wanted to take pictures too. And the first thing out of his mouth was make sure you get the legs in. Make sure you get the legs in. He wasn't talking about mine. He wasn't talking about yours. He was talking about his because he is the very first below the knee double amputee to finish the Kona Hawaiian Ironman. Do you have any idea how hard it is to do an Ironman? We did a 5K with him and he dusted us, remember? Du <laughs> dusted. We were, we were in great shape then too. Great shape. Dusted. I mean, he finished like... I don't know how many minutes before me. I was like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is embarrassing. Here's the crazy He's part. Here's the crazy shape. part. My 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 cousin was in a in a marathon in uh Atlanta where he lives. And he's telling us, he goes, you know that guy that you were always talking about? He goes, I think um in my marathon he passed me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I better step it up. Well, he is he he's done the unthinkable and he is unstoppable. He is our guest today. Please welcome to the show, Scott. 
Rigsby. Hey, guys. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good. Doing well. Well, it's great to see you again. Um, first of all, I want to thank you. If those of you guys who have read my book, The Pursuit, this chapter titled, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, it was inspired by Scott Rigsby because I felt like I felt like his journey and what he's about to tell you about related very well to maybe what the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites were going through in Egypt. You know, we've said on this podcast over and over again that the Bible is timeless because it's timely. We can relate every story of of even the Old Testament times, which we're about to do, to something that's happening in our lives. So, Scott, the first thing I want to ask you about, when we came to see you that first time when we ran that 5K, you did a talk. And in that talk, you got on stage and you told the people, if you came here to listen to my story today, mm -hmm. you came to the wrong place. This is not my story. Whose story yeah. is it, Scott? Well, really, I said that they were going to be sadly disappointed because my story is about uh, an 18-year-old kid really drowning in a sea of despair, you know, and it's very uninteresting. Um, but if 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 they wanted to be inspired, if they wanted their lives changed, then they really needed to hear God's story. And that's really what my story is about, is God's story and my role in it and in the service of others. And that's really it in a nutshell. So what we learned from that is that we take you at 18 and your life changes in an instant. People out there, look, sometimes things happen and, and they happen out of the blue. Now, take us through that moment when you were 18 years old. You're on the back of a truck in, in Georgia. You're, you're on a lawn crew and you're just coming home from a long day at work. Um, sure. Well, we were going in... Uh... I, I was working a little landscaping job before I went off to college. There earned a little extra money uh, with two of my best friends from high school. We had three people would be in the cab of the truck, three people on the back of the truck, sitting on the back of this um, toolbox with our feet dangling in the bed of the truck. We had like push lawnmowers in the bed. And then we had a flatbed trailer with two big industrial lawnmowers, riding lawnmowers sitting on the back. And that's our crew. And, and uh, you know, we were, fun loving guys like when you're 18 you're talking about girls and going off to college and feeling invincible and had one little scratch on my body and that was it um so as we were leaving our work site and and it was lunchtime and we were heading back into our home base um this 18 wheeler had been following us for about 10 miles and decided to pass us in this long straightaway well, it was kind of at the break of a curve and it was a long straightaway and he thought okay well i'll just pull out and i'll go past them but what he didn't realize is up ahead of us was a small narrow bridge and he didn't think that he as he approached the bridge he didn't think he was able to fit both vehicles on the bridge so he moved over his vehicle over the yellow line just a little bit well the right <clears throat> jack of the of the 18 wheelers cargo that was sticking down like when you have the cart cab of the 18 wheeler and it backs up to cargo and they roll up those jacks well the right jack was even with our left front trailer tire uh flatbed trailer tire so um if you look at the lateral view of uh, a flatbed trailer you have two tires on both sides and a brace in the middle well that uh, that right jack hit our left front trailer tire and blew it out and then we fishtailed into the side of the bridge 
I got knocked off. My legs got lodged in between uh, our flatbed trailer tire as I was passing by. And I bounced up on the pavement and bounced up. Going back, my friend in the middle grabbed my other friend or it, or he would have been crushed between the side of the truck and the bridge and then went to grab for me. And I wasn't there. And so he frantically started beating on the back of the glass until the driver stopped. But going back to me, when I hit the pavement and bounced up, I my arms extended forward and I began to hover off of the ground over a football field. And this is all happening in a matter of seconds. But I'm hovering off of the ground, holding on to nothing. Now, there, there was a truck driver behind the one who actually hit us, and he was seeing everything. And when two months later, when he came to my house, he said that when I hit the pavement, bounced up, that it looked like there was somebody on the back of the our flatbed trailer standing there holding my wrist, holding my hands off of the pavement. So I was hovering, holding on to nothing, going 45 miles an hour. When if you take a pencil out in the parking lot and you were to go any any speed over, you know, 45 miles an hour, there's nothing going to be left of the pencil in a matter of seconds. And there should have been nothing left of me, but God had better plans for for me. And so when the uh, when it stopped, when the trailer stopped, my my uh, friends jumped off the back you know, evaluated the situation. My legs were ca caught up in, in this flatbed trailer. Um, and that's kind of where the second miracle happened. The first miracle was me hovering off of the ground for a football field, holding on to nothing. This, the second one was we, it was rural South Georgia, 1986. And we landed between these two houses where and this was before social media, um, before cell phones. And my friends were able to, call somebody from a landline the local hospital was only 10 miles away where it could have been 20 or 30 miles away um the uh guy that was in the tractor trailer behind us that saw everything he was a first responder so he was helping out and then when our trailer when it stopped it would the left front trailer tire which was blown out it landed on my right leg above above my ankle which act as a tourniquet, so I didn't bleed to death, but it was 6,000 pounds on my leg. So we're in the middle of rural southwest Georgia, 1986. Are we going to be able to find some kind of vehicle to be able to lift the weight off of me, even if an ambulance gets there? Well, out of nowhere, a tow truck happened to arrive, lifted the weight off of me. They stabilized me and then shipped me to the hospital where a surgeon and uh, the surgeon who assisted or actually was in charge of the operation uh, to remove my right leg was a former Vietnam uh, a combat surgeon. And so they removed my right leg below the knee. And then my left leg, my left ankle, my calcaneus, my heel bone, it was completely drug off. So I'd have to have bone grafts, skin grafts, and muscle grafts. So here, you know, I go from talking about girls and going off to child college and feeling like my life mm -hmm. was invincible and just about to really start to just kick off out of the blocks and then you know it comes uh, tumbling down to the point where i'm not really sure how i'm going to be able to walk and what what my life is going to be like am i going to you know am i ever going to be able to run again am i going to be active how are people going to relate to me 
all these kind of questions of doubt, uncertainty, and a lot of great fear. Okay. Well, I know I know that part of the story. That is super powerful. Two miracles happen there. Mm-hmm. Your life changing in an instant. Here's where I start the book off and, and your part. I said, you know, the medical term for what's left after a limb is amputated is called a residual. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the medical term, which literally means what remains after the greater part has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, what remained after your leg was gone um, due to the accident, you said, eventually would not be worth saving on that left leg. Um, not physically and certainly in terms of your spiritual well-being either. Um, Scott, if we relate this immediately before you get into the next part, which is even more powerful, is sometimes people are right now making decisions. They have a part of their life, a residual part of their life that, you know, for better or worse, they're stuck and they're not making progress. They're not, it's either in a relationship or in a career or in their body like yourself. And we have to make that that decision. Now, how many years later, you said you were, you called yourself, quote unquote, a professional patient. How many surgeries did you have trying to save that leg? So I had, um, so there was probably, there was 26 eventual surgeries when I chose to take off the other leg. There were 17 in a year before I went off to college. And then probably six or seven additional eight surgeries. And then finally, I woke up one day, I was 30 years old, and I knew that that wasn't the plan that God had for my life. You know, the Bible talks about living an abundant life, um, that he came, that Jesus came, that so we could live an abundant life, but I wasn't experiencing anything remotely close mm-hmm. to an abundant life. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to um, roll the dice and and try to figure out a way to get out of uh, that um, dark period that I was in, you know, there's a old adage that says that you can't steer a parked car. And I was stuck. Uh, there was no steering. There was no going forward. And sometimes you just have to trust God and go forward uh, in the midst of not being able to see what's happening. I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King has a great quote. He said, you know, and I'll paraphrase it. It's that you, you can't take the first step you, you know, faith is like taking the first step of a staircase that you cannot see. And, you know, a lot of times we just have to take that first step and put our put our faith in um, the quality of the object that we're believing, not the quantity. And the quantity that had, that had accumulated to that point was not good. And here's the thing I didn't know, because I, I assume I, I forgot that it was such a big gap in time where you were this professional patient. You had 26 surgeries. And you went through all the stages being in that hospital. You went, you told me you went through anger, you went through grief, you went through depression, um, you became um, addicted to painkillers. Um, and then there's this pivotal moment after you go through those stages. And you said they were deep, dark stages. I think you told me they were three years of your life that you don't even really remember. Mm-hmm. And where you're, you, you know, like everybody would, you curse God, you would feel sorry for yourself. And then you would, you know, even suicidal thoughts. And then comes this conversation. You said you went out, I think you went out to lunch with a man of God one day. Tell me about that, because this is very interesting. So I went out to a pastor friend. He had, hadn't seen me in a while and, and reached out to me. And this was at, at this point, I was probably in year three of just a drug addiction, just a pain, taking a pill to get up in the morning, a pill to go to bed and a, a whole host of pills in between. And um, it was just I was self-medicated like a lot of folks out there, a lot of um, Mm -hmm. even a lot of our service members just self-medicated from the trauma that 
we had experienced. And so um, at that point, um, he had, we had gone to lunch and through that kind of drug-induced haze, I didn't re- remember very much about what he said, but, you know, all, all God needs is just a little phrase sometimes, you know, uh, a mantra, a, um, you know, a battle cry. You know, like a lot of times in the Bible, they, they have these battle cries. You know, they like Gideon's going around this wall over and over, chanting something to break down all those walls. Well, the beauty of that is, is through that drug-induced haze, I heard some, a very simple phrase that God had a better plan for my life. Now, that doesn't, you know, that may not uh, arouse anybody like spiritually and you know, get them, you know, to go get their battle axe or, you know, excite them. But through that haze, that just small, you know, simple phrase that God had a better plan for my life, that's all I heard and that's all I needed. So when that conversation ended and we had finished our lunch, I went home. I was there by myself um, in, you know, in Athens, Georgia. That's where I was living at the time. And I just felt all this pain, you know, just, I just felt all this heaviness, all this pain, all this darkness just fall on me. And I just began to weep. And the only person that I knew who to really cry out to or cry at or scream at or, you know, that had been there through all of this with me was God. And so I just began to just scream and cry and curse and just, you know, be, you know, all this anger and all this, you know, just uh, sheer just pain and hurt and disappointment and all this frustration just began to pour out of me. And then when I physically was just almost dry, even because, you know, when you sometimes when you get really upset and you, you just don't even you can't your body just didn't even really know what to do with the pain anymore. And I was just kind of shaking and I, I felt like I was going to throw up. I was hurting so bad that um, I just screamed out. I just called God everything that, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I just called him everything that I possibly could that was just filthy in my life and just the mm-hmm. hurt poured out. And then, you know, I, as I was trying to catch my breath, I've never heard the audible voice of God before, but I heard this voice say to me, I'm glad you're finally being honest with me. You know, it didn't, he didn't go through the list of the curse words that I used. He didn't go through the list of, I can't believe you would say this to me or speak to the, me in this tone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any of that. You know, the, what I felt at that time was this, this connection, like God was slapping his hands together in heaven. He was looking at me, slapping his hands together in heaven and, and calling the angels over. Hey, man, look at this one. I finally got one of these people that I love so much. I finally got one of them to listen to me, to wake up, you know, that they're they're This one, he's ready. He's finally going to be honest with me. He's not going to play church. He's not going to play. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about these acts of like trying to appease me. I'm not a cosmic bellhop up here. Waiting to be appeased, <laughs> not the soup Nazi that you have to order things in a certain way. 
but God was real and he became a father to me that he was waiting, to, like he says in his word, to give good gifts to me, to give good gifts to his uh -huh. children. But yet here all the time I'd been trying to appease God. I've been trying to to beg for him just to, to accept me or to, you know, not offend him in some kind of way. And shamefully, I had put him in this box that that my uh, you know I'd had this relationship with my earthly father and it was a horrible relationship and I had unfairly put God in this this earthly father box to try to relate to me and yet here uh God woke up and he was like hey I'm not like that at all and he did the exact opposite of what we would respond to somebody you know, saying things like that or treating us that way or speaking to us in, in that manner. But mm. here God woke up and he was wow. like so excited that he was able to like use this piece of clay that I was and I was moldable and able to be shaped in the form of the man of God that he wanted me to be at that mm. time. Amen. Wow. I like how he said, uh, he said, and the, this is a quote I use in the book. He said, God, he felt like God would say, I'm glad you're finally being honest with me. Yeah. How, how important is that? Well, I mean, he said it was a voice, you know, and um, geez, Scott, when you tell that story, and I've heard it a number of times, but every single time you tell it, it's just, it, it's almost like it becomes more and more powerful. Even to me, it's like different layers of it reveal themselves. And, um, you know, listening to you share that, and I just think about our listener, uh, thinking about the amount of people that struggle with the formality of what a relationship and trust looks like with God versus the relational side. I mean, you were able to get so real and so honest. And like you said, you're not proud of what you said. And no one, no one here on this podcast is telling people to go, you know, cuss God out. <laughs> but sometimes it takes us being so visceral in our response. A surrender. To, to, to surrender ourselves in completely and like and say i have no nothing out like you are it you are all i have at this point in time like i'm at my my absolute rock bottom i can't continue to go on and, and i think that's that's what we have right now in this time and place before there's a new heaven and a new earth where we actually can touch his hem yeah the, the hem of his garden because when we're going to be there it's gonna be different you know what i mean but we're now we get to touch yeah. the hem of the garment and just reach out for just one glimmer of of hope one glimmer of the power to leave him and and to to be instilled in us and yeah. for things to change you know and you took that you took that opportunity and and he gave you a new assignment and let's yeah, yeah that's the next part because people want to think that uh, i mean god worked in an instant like it was that moment but the the plan the the whole thing takes time people want that instant gratification especially nowadays god i'm in pain now take it away right now get me get me from point a to point b 180 degree turn right now right and it mm. doesn't work that way you in my own story you break down you surrender to god and it was a 20 year period before i am where i am now mm. scott let's go to that next part you break down and surrender um you say you know i want this leg to be taken off you go to the doctor and said yeah. i'm done being a professional patient it's time for me to get on with my life that's what we're gonna but that even cool. when I said, but even when I said, like, I, even when I had this kind of epiphany with God, this, you know, wrestling with him, even when I had the, that period that happened and I made the decision, OK, I'm going to take off this left leg. 
I had to go through all this kind of crazy insurance, uh, you know, as covering our works comp. And so I'd go through to get the insurance to buy into it. And that took probably six months. And then it took another probably four to five months for me to build up this makeshift man-made leg so that I would have a good residual limb. So can you imagine you're building something up to be taken off? Mm. So it doesn't make any sense. Like, But if I wanted to have a really good residual limb, or some people call it a stump, whatever you want to call it, to be able to fit into my prosthesis, I had to work hard. I had to work out on this leg and do all these kind of crazy exercises to build up the muscles mm. in that leg so that it could be taken off. Mm. Oh my gosh. Like you think about, you know, coming from a, a background of fitness, it's like you build up the body for it to do work for you. And in this case, you're like, I'm building up my body for it to be taken off. Like it just, it, it seems like a, an oxymoron almost, but uh, it it really also puts things in perspective. You know, we talked about pruning um, on an earlier podcast and it's just like, we have, you got to, you're, but you build, you build the, the body of, you build what needs to produce fruit. And, and in time during, during that time, you also have to prune away the things that are bad. Otherwise you end up with a stick tree, you know, yeah. and this kind of, it, it goes very well with your story. It's just like you had to build something up and take away the the parts that that were stealing life, yeah, from what life was left to be given. Yeah, yeah, yeah you so know, amazing. Well, let's wow. go to this this other beautiful part. So, um, I think it's somewhere circa like two thousand eight or nine. <laughs> Um, and I have this thing called the Fitness Channel, and I'm in St. Pete, and they have the St. Pete. Uh, it's like a preparatory triathlon for a lot of a lot of the Olympic triathletes and stuff. And I go and I talked to the um, the public relations girl there, and I said, "Look, um, I'm going to film uh, some stories here. I want some human interest stories. You got anything for me?" And so she gets me some guy who's a lawyer, and and he's run triathlons his whole life, and he's having a baby, and this will be his last one for a while. It's a good story. Um, she gets me the girl who ended up winning it, and she's an Olympic uh, triathlete. She ended up winning it. That was a great story. And then there was a lady who was 80 years old and running this little mini triathlon with her daughter who was 66 or 65, um, or she was in her maybe early 90s, do the math. Um, but then she gives me Scott. And this is the first time I meet him. And <laughs> um, I, had, I went to him. Uh, he was at a elementary school speaking to a bunch of elementary school kids, and he's got his prosthetic legs up there. And I'm just immediately, like, you can see the compassion and the love in his heart, not only for people in general, but especially for young kids. And then um, I'm sitting there at the end of the swim uh, where the athletes come out of the water and they get ready to go um, on their bike. And then I see Scott coming out. And I, I Scott, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I, if I close my eyes, I, I know exactly what that video looks like. I've, I've seen it several times, but I haven't seen it in years. But I remember the look on my face watching you come out of that water. Um, he had, he didn't have his. You don't have swim legs or anything on, or you might have, but I didn't see you. You were just on yeah. your residuals walking. Yeah. And um, that was the beginning of an amazing friendship. But I want you to tell me about where that calling came from. I mean, I can't imagine doing a triathlon. You're sitting there in the hospital bed and God speaks to you again. So, um, you know, I didn't really know what uh, what was going to happen when I 
took off the other leg. I remember being in, in my bathtub the night before that I'd have the surgery to remove my leg. And I was like, okay, this leg is not going to be there anymore. So this is like one of those decisions that, you know, it is a, it is a leap of faith um, that you just have to trust that when you step out, that God's going to put that step there and the next step and the next step and the next step. And you, even though you don't see them. And so, um, so that once I had the, the leg removed, uh, the next, that surgery to remove the left leg below the knee to match my other leg. Um, I six, I went to do rehab. I had a great processist. Um, and then literally six weeks later, I was up and running. That is not normal. That is super abnormal for something, something, something happened, but God gave me favor and I began to be able to, I literally could just run across the street, but I didn't have any reason to run, but I just started to piecemeal my life back together and God began to lead me to these different people along the way. Because, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my journey of faith is God just doesn't do things alone. There are no long ranger Christians running around doing things. If they're doing things, they're usually doing things, you know, on their own and eventually coming into failure because, God's economy just doesn't work that way. He works in, through communities. Hmm. Now, he will take a person and he'll bring them out of that community, but he will use people's times, talent, and resources to help get them to the goal that he wants that one person to go. But then it's, hey, it's turn, turn, it's a reverse economy. Then it's like, okay, I've got you to this pinnacle. Now you're going to use your time, talents, and resources to give back. And you're going to decrease, just like Jesus said to his people, you know, he said, hey, I'm going to start decreasing where you're going to increase. You're going to carry on the message. And as, as believers, that's that's what we do. And so God just led me, you know, you know, through this period of, of just development. But then as we all do and as the Israelites did and as a lot of God's folks, you know, do. Sometimes, you know, God, he's still there, but we don't hear him. Mm. And <laughs> instead of just being patient and kind of waiting for him to let things unfold, you know, we kind of just, you know, uh, get depressed or go back in a valley. Some of God's greatest people and in the Bible struggled with depression and they struggled with doubt and uncertainty and fear and they sank. And I began to sink back into depression and uh, in fear and doubt, uncertainty. And so I wound up in a really bad place. It was uh, around 2005. I, um, at, th at that point, I, I kind of evaluated my life. And even though God had done some great things in my life, I didn't feel like I was a value to myself. I didn't feel like I was a value to my family. I didn't feel like I was a value to the world. And I was just going to check out. And so... I wanted to say goodbye to my parents. So it was around Christmas time. I went home. I, I uh, was going to say goodbye to them and I was going to come back to Atlanta and I was going to end my life. And so I went, uh, went home, said goodbye, you know, had a great week with my parents. And then it was the night before Christmas. I was laying on my parents' living room floor with tears streaming down my face and knowing the decision I was going to make a week later. And uh, my mom, so many times that she had in, you know, in the past, she had uh, 
either said a prayer for me or, you know, said words of encouragement and kind of pushed back those walls of despair. But that night when I came in and asked her to pray for me, she sat down on the floor beside me and I was laying there on my back, tears streaming down my face. And she just held my hand and prayed for me. But it felt like her prayer hit the ceiling and bounced up beside me. And kind of in my desperation, I just cried out to God and said, hey, God, if you open up a door for me, then I'll run through it. Now, I had been given these pair of running legs, but I didn't I had not run very far at all. Maybe like point two of a 26.2 mile race or whatever. I'd run like the point two of it. But I, you know, I I that's the only thing that I knew. That's the only thing that I knew to give to God. This is the only thing that I know that's somewhat unique about me. What can you do with this? And mm. so that's what I gave him is, you know, a lot of times we think that we have to clean up our act. Okay, I got to quit, you know, abusing alcohol or I got to quit drugs or I've got to quit running around on my significant other or I've got to, you know, have a good job or I've got to look a certain way or act a certain way or talk a certain way. God wants us to come the way we are. He wants us to to come to us because if we could clean up ourselves without him, then we don't need him at all. The reason we need him is that we are absolutely, we have to get to the end of ourselves. We have to empty ourselves of ourselves. If we have anything left of ourselves before we present that to him, then we're not empty enough. Amen, brother. It's just not going to work because he can't fill up something that is full of himself. It is a we're charlatans. We're chameleons. We are we are frauds. We are fakes. We are a gross imitation of what he wants from us if we have whatever we have left of us in that tank we have to like let it go and i didn't have anything left in the tank i didn't have anything left to give him except for this one thing you know it's so much like there's a a parable in the in the bible where the woman comes up and all she has all she has to give Mm -hmm. is what is left of what she owns. Yeah. That's it. So she gives it to him. That's all I had of what I thought was about va- might be of some value. Mm. Might be some uniqueness. And I gave it all. Yeah. So I I, <clears throat> I hear this and I think to myself, you know, gosh, how many times have I looked at you and I'm like, I just can't hear him. You know, and and this comes from someone that, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, a very faithful uh, follower. And sometimes I just am like listening so hard. And you remind me how important it is to empty ourselves. And because my my fleshly nature is to do things in my own strength, um, we lose the ability to co-create uh, when we're trying to do it on our own. Like this is where we white knuckle the process a lot. And I just, I love the fact that you've reminded us on a number of occasions already. It's just like, I'm at the end. Like, this is the end. This is the end of where I'm at. Like, literally and figuratively, I'm ready to end it all. Just give me a door so I can run through it. Because that's where God starts to multiply. He's in the business of multiplication. But he, you got to bring a clean, not a clean slate in the sense that you have to fix it. Like, you got to, you got to come clean of your own, you know, agenda. 
Like yeah. you, your agenda was done at that point. There are what I like about Scott's story is there's there's a surrender, there's the frustration that we all feel, there's ups and downs. It wasn't just immediate, but he made a decision. And if we if we look at you know what Joshua did in the desert, you know Joshua is one who listened. At times he wasn't ready to be the leader. Um, we know Moses was not going to see the land of milk and honey because he he you know hesitated with the people. So we see people who are frustrated. Um, in our everyday lives, as with the people in um, in Egypt, right, the Israelites, frustrated. You know, who do we think we are? We can't do this. Mm. You know, we can't go into this land of milk, honey. There's giants over there. Mm. We see ourselves fearful. Where are we headed? What what if what if it's not all that was promised in there? And then what happens is that leads into stagnation. We should just stop and rest. And this is the dangerous part. Or when you stop and rest, <laughs> or you stop and rest. It either goes you end it or or you get into this period or this habit of just it's a slumber. Just, what what it, what um what the the pastor said is you end up lingering yeah. in a place where you should have been passing through. Pastor Nancy Dufresne, thank you for reminding us of that. Um, you linger in a place where you should have been passing through. So God saw Scott lingering there. Scott took the initiative, but you know, weighty decisions in our life. I mean, I can't think of a bigger, heavier decision than removing a limb. That's why it's such a great story for this, because you don't just say, "Yeah, take my leg off." I mean, mm -hmm. he said how he sat there at the night before and go, "This this part of me that's been here is no longer going to be here." The weighty decisions won't go away; they just get bigger. And there's nothing wrong with what we see people is looking for motivational speeches from knowledge teachers. They look for um, the quotes. They gobble up the self-help books. Um, they regurgitate all these platitudes that you hear, but they still sometimes don't experience that massive trans transformation that Scott experienced because there's only one way to experience massive transformation like that, and that's through the Holy Spirit, and that's through God. And so what we see is the next phase of his life is, again, what he's known for why he's booked to do motivational speeches, why we have him here today, um, is not because of anything that's happened till this point in this story. It's because of what happens next mm -hmm. is th the the quest to become an Iron Man, not only just an Iron Man, but the first double amputee below the knee. There's a couple phases of that process, Scott, where it just wasn't like, hey, I got in a bike and I started swimming and I trained. Yeah, there was that time you spent in the um, hyperbaric chamber. Um, after a race, there's a time I think you fell in uh quarter was it cordeline you fell Corlean, in cordeline yeah. off your back yeah. and then you fell in didn't something happen oh the best part is yeah so talk about the talk about these three things yeah like, well, the, the challenges so um you know before before we get into that and one of the things I wanted to talk about before we kind of segue into that section is that is that um. You know, and you you guys can relate to this. I don't have any kids, but I have a lot of. I'm an Uncle Scott in a lot of families, and I've been around a lot of kids. Oh, your Uncle, Uncle Scott, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, they're they're like one of the things that I that I realize about God is is that so many times you guys having young children, you will have you know, and there's people out there, especially with middle schoolers, you know. They will they have all this hurt inside that they have these things that that are going on, you know, in them as they develop as a person and it gets kind of trapped in there. And you as a parent, sometimes you just think, OK, well, they're just acting out because there's a kid. So I'm just going to put a kibosh. I'm going to stop this 
behavior. And a lot of times, you know, it doesn't it doesn't um, do away with what that stirring in the child's body, like what's going on. Hmm. It stops this behavior that's annoying you. That mm-hmm. you know, they're them acting out. It stops that because it's annoying you, and it's really more for you, your benefit, than for the child's benefit. Well, mm-hmm. with God, a lot of times he allows that stirring to act out. And so we think, okay, he's not listening to us. Well, it's not that he's not listening to us. We're acting out. We're, you're moving through these, uh, you know, just all these kind of emotions. And he's letting us work through that until we're really at a place where we're really willing for him to hear us and hear our hearts. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of times it's about, you know, what my heart was in the right place when I presented that to him, as opposed to me in that stirring and acting out period of trying to present that to him, you know, he could have just, stopped it but he let it he just let it go because he knew i needed to come to that place where i myself hmm. was at a place that i could come to him and present something that was really pure yeah. and a lot of times like we'll just stop our kids because they're annoying us stop the behavior that's annoying us and then we don't let them get to a place where what's really bothering them what's really at the heart of the matter, they can present that to us. And, you know, we can come back with this wonderful gift of, of comfort and encouragement and, you know, inspiration to get them past that point. And that's one of the things that I felt like really the Holy Spirit wanted me to put on people's heart today is I wouldn't have been able to get to the point place that we're going to talk about that gave me a platform to be able to help literally thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands millions of people have heard this story and been impacted by it but i wouldn't have been able to get to that place had god not allowed me that safe space to be able to move and not just kibosh it and go okay i'm tired of this behavior i'm tired of this acting out okay i want to really i want to hear you and then once i felt like he could hear me, even though it didn't seem like that. We operate by our faith, not our feelings. And so many times we put that on God. I don't feel you. But that doesn't mean that he's not still there. Right. He's still there. We have to operate in faith that he is hearing us. Yeah. And that we come to a point where we can put that back before him. And, and well, he leads us to that place. So when I threw up that Hail Mary prayer, nothing happened. But a week later, I went into a bookstore in Atlanta, Georgia, and I read about this world-famous race, the Hawaiian Ironman Triathlon, and, and discovered that no person with two prosthetic legs had ever finished that that race before. So, and with, go, no, sorry, go ahead. And at this place with like being 20 years past my prime and not being able to, didn't know how to swim without legs, and not being able to ride a bike, uh, you know, those fancy triathlon bikes, and even running the point two of the 26.2 miles, 
you know, this race is a 2.4 mile swim in the ocean, followed by a 112 mile bike ride. You have to finish that in 10 hours and 30 minutes or you get disqualified. And then you warm up for a marathon, 26.2 miles of running. So it's 140.6 miles of swimming and biking and running on a very hot day in a 118 degree asphalt day yeah. with 20 and 30 mile an hour winds have blown people off their bikes and over the guardrails and crazy, crazy stuff like that. And Did even you say you encountered an, a an angel along the way, do you think that helped you? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the parts of the story is like, and, and we were going to kind of get up to that point is that I didn't just show up one day. It didn't happen. Uh, you know, there was a lot of obstacles along the way. I got my, um, you know, prosthetic running feet, um uh taken basically taken me from me from a rogue processist that wanted to blackmail me into an athletic contract but god showed up and gave me some equipment from a different company i got i broke my uh, I, I had bloody legs at my first marathon just not even iron man but just marathon attempt and uh had to be put in a hyperbaric chamber heal me up in a matter of days that, that literally would have taken weeks um, shortly after that, I, I would get tip my first Ironman. I broke my back at, in, in a bike wreck and only made it 12 miles of the marathon portion of the race. And it was about three or four months before the race, the race, I ended up running out of money, had to go. This was before a GoFundMe was really popular <laughs> and had to raise money to be able to go over there to do this race on a borrowed bike that didn't fit. Wow. All kinds of crazy stuff. So I did, I wasn't, um, you know, um, uh, you know, being audacious, uh, you know, and trying to, to say the book is, uh, you know, unthinkable. It, it really is a crazy, unthinkable. I can't make this kind of stuff up no. kind of story. So by okay. the time I showed up, you know, at the Ironman race, um, I had only had about six weeks to train after healing up from, fracturing in one of the vertebrae in my back and so uh but god had opened up a door for me and i knew that i was going to run through it and uh crazy stuff happened i got kicked in the eye when i was in my swim so I was swimming with one eye no legs uh, i was had riding uh, on this bike race on a borrowed bike and god did show up in a, a you know um in a way that when i was on the course that i was um I was not hot. And when you're in very extreme content temperatures like that, that's not a good sign. I wasn't hot and I didn't feel like I was, I, I didn't feel the, the oppressive uh, surroundings. I didn't I feel the oppressive conditions. And so it was really concerning. And so I just said that and I just said, well, you know, uh, why am I, you know, uh, why am I not hot? And he, and, and I heard this voice again, it's not, like audible voice, but it was just in my mind saying, because you're wrapped in the shadows of my love. And it's from, I didn't think I'd ever read it or heard about it, but it's from a verse uh, in Psalms. And it talks about being wrapped in the shadows of, of these angel wings hmm. uh, in the covering of his wings. And so it took me back to a little place of like, I was in this little 50 member Baptist church and thinking, why doesn't, you know, crazy stuff happen? Like the pastor, this was when I was in second or third grade, the pastor's reading off these stories. And I've heard these stories. Why doesn't something like that happen? 
you know, in my life. Well, for the first time in my life, I was 39 years old and something like that was happening in my life mm. that I saw these. I saw me. I was riding along, pedaling along, and I saw me above myself. And I saw this vision of these angel wings covering me. And all I could see is the shadows of my wheels turning, covering the tips of those angels' wings. So I saw that vision of me while I'm riding along 20 miles an hour on this bike. And it was a crazy experience. And tears wow. began to stream down my face. And I didn't look anything like an Iron Man. I had snot all over my helmet and my glasses. And I was like, you almost that. didn't finish. This is the most amazing part from a physical standpoint. When we, when we realize how grueling a race is and we realize when you're gone and exhausted. And like you said, you, you got in the, in the water when the sun wasn't even up and now you're, now it's nighttime. Um, uh, you weren't going to finish on time. I think that's the biggest part. Uh, imagine yeah, when you're so exhausted you and you have to dig yeah. in. So go so into I that. Did, yeah. So I did make it through the, uh, bike portion of the race with about 40 minutes to spare. And then moving into um, the run portion, I mean, there was a time where I knew that I'd be running, you know, uh, for, you know, at least five or six hours in darkness. And so I taped these little headlamps to my legs and I was running um, uh, along the, along the run course. And uh, I, one of the things I feared the whole race is that I would, um, fall in some kind of way because my legs are held on by this sophisticated vacuum type system. And I have these sleeves that cover my knees and they, they're airtight. You shouldn't even get a pinhole in them or they really, you'll feel the weight of the legs and they weigh like six or eight pounds each. And so, so whatever you do, do not fall. And I had tripped on some sketchy pavement about halfway through the race and I fell and I fell in this plank position and I was gripped with fear and doubt and uncertainty. And I didn't think I was going to be able to finish because I was like, there's no way I could fall have fallen that hard onto the pavement and it not just rip my my um sleeves to shreds. But I when I stood up, I looked and my legs were my sleeves were perfectly intact because each of the little headlamps were they the one was left on, one was cracked. And but they had created enough margin to keep the integrity of my sleeves intact. And so here I am, I'm standing up and I've got one light on and one, one light, uh, you know, to lead me home. And so it was such a perfect metaphor for my life that in those incredibly dark times of brokenness and darkness that there, that God had given me that through Christ, that I God had given me this light to lead me home. And I began to run yeah. as, fastest when I started and I was able to finish the race and and uh, finish within the time limits uh, with 17 minutes to spare 16 hours 42 minutes 46 seconds yeah and there's a wonderful picture of you that we'll try and put up on the screen of you crossing that finish line that Iron Man finish line and there mm. it is yeah and the, the most amazing part about this is and you know in our very first house I had yep. one picture in my office it was this one Oh. It was this one. I, I, I used that for motivation early on because I thought if this guy can do this, you know, like every time we look up on ourselves and we're like, I can't do it. I just wanted that visual there of this man with no legs finishing the Iron Man. And I, I wrapped up this chapter of my book. I'm going to give a quote. Um, I'm going to give a quote. Uh, Priscilla, Priscilla Shire, um, she's a Christian author, and she mm -hmm. says, if I were your enemy, enemy, I'd constantly remind you of your past mistakes and poor choices. 
I'd want to keep you burdened by shame and guilt in hopes that you'll feel incapacitated by your many failings and see no point in even trying again. Hmm. I'd work to convince you that you've had your chance and you've blown it. I mean, I think that's where a lot of us are mm. when we're when we're stuck in that valley and we're lingering in a place. We listen to the enemy who says, you've you've been here before. You 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 don't have the ability to climb out. You you've failed so many times. Just give up. And what Scott says after that, and his last quote of my book says, I tell people not to lose hope and to continue to find God's purpose for their lives, that he can take whatever is left, that residual, and make things greater than the whole. Amen to that, Scott. He says you can do it in God's economy. It's the only one in the world where you can take something from somebody that's perceived as a weakness, and yet the divine result is exponentially greater than the whole. And it goes along with the, yeah. the, the verse in the Bible that talks about all things work, not some, not a few, not a couple, not a handful. All things work to get for the good for those that are called according to his purpose. Do you wait? wait a second. Do, you know, do you remember the first time you told us that? Because I, I remember. remember exactly where I, I was. Know, I know me. where I was. Tell me, Ange. Um, well, we were in Arizona yep. and we were talking to you and there you were. You didn't have a job. Your manager. But we were just talking to him. We wasn't on a podcast. Was a, right? Yeah, we just just a, just a phone call. Yep. Um, your manager had like swindled basically all of your money from the years of speaking and engagements and everything. So that was a huge blow. You were living in with some friends. I was living with some friends. Yeah, with some friends and yeah, and you were just like. And I'm thinking like it was on the front porch front at front, night. Yeah. Middle of the night, yeah. we're talking to you. And, and he's I, like, I survived all this stuff physically. And now I'm broke. And you said all things work mm -hmm. out. And I was like, yeah, what this guy? I mean, I, my, my mind was boggled because I was sitting there thinking I would be a blubbering mess. And I'm sure you've had your blubbering mess moments. You've yeah, talked about it. I've had but, that, yeah. But the, the, the gift of faith. Because he meant it. He it wasn't meant just it. like he said You were it. like certain. You're like, yeah. no, You're this, like, I'll is, be all right. this is going to be fine. And man, are you ever like, we just saw and, you. And few now I, I work in, you know, and, and things are great now. I mean, I'm 17th in the country out of 130, uh, almost 40 salespeople uh, for a big, uh, big company in healthcare. Um, and I have money in the bank. I have uh, furniture in a, in a place that's all paid for. And so within a five-year period, God took me from living with a, a close family to, you know, having my own place, you know, and, and okay. having a great job. And now being one of the top people. Oh, this is the best part. You were, you were helping somebody out one day. And you need, remember in the grocery store, you were helping some sure. guy out and some yeah. guy comes up to you and says, hey, are you Scott Rigsby? And you're like, yeah. He goes, oh, well, I finished my first triathlon inspired by your book. And years later, right? This we is, work yeah. with people. That, this yeah. is the guy years yeah. later. And now, and now I'm working and now I'm working for that company. But yeah. even before then, you know, I went from, you know, God took me from that conversation with y'all in the fall of 2016 with less than 5,000 you know, dollars in my bank account to seven, probably eight months later to a job that had a six figure income. Yeah. I went That's from, I went from a place of transitional homelessness to over a hundred thousand dollar job, uh, you know, with no qualifications for that. But, you know, in God's economy, things don't, you know, they don't add up. 
but if you, but I just stayed faithful and, and, you know, um, you know, what, all I could give God during that time period, like all I could give God was again, all I know what to do is, is all God, I don't know how to get myself out of this mess. All Mm -hmm. I can do is I can, I, I can run through the door that you open up for me. And God opened up a door for me in that April of 2017 to run the Boston Marathon. So I ran the Boston Marathon. I was the last official. Now, they have an official cutoff of like eight hours. I was the last official finisher, like two, like seven hours and 58 minutes. Hmm. And so I was written up. This, I was called by a run from Boston Magazine as like a two million uh, person readership. And, uh, and they said, hey, you're the last finisher. What's your story? I told him my story, what had happened. I sent it to the CEO of a big um, biotech company at the time. And that, pers- that person hired me wow. based on that article. Because what, I, what did I do? I just gave God what I, you know, only thing I had was the ability to run on these crazy legs. So I went back to what I knew to give him. Mm. At that time, I, I didn't have any money. I didn't even have a place to live. I was living with friends. See, look and how all my, possessions were, all my possessions were in this one little, uh, you know, one little one. They it would basically fit in my truck. And now, you know, when I live in a place and and I just bought forty thousand dollars worth of furniture to furnish a whole place, mm. when I had just a fraction of that, and God's so good, God's so good about that that He gave me half price. All that <laughs> Here it is, five years later. Here it is, five years later. I bought, I buy forty thousand dollars worth of furniture. There's some crazy, you know, miracle. Mir- Miraculous circumstances that, but I only pay twenty thousand dollars for it, and it funds my, yeah. it furnishes my whole place. Well, the last time he was out so here, remember funny. we're on, we're on the Dallas, not the actual Dallas Star in the stadium, but you know the one right next to it here. Um, there's this whole thing we stopped and got a football for my daughters, and I have this awesome video of Scott, uh, you know, teaching my daughters how to play football with no legs. Uh, he's on his prosthetics, <laughs> and it's just it's just I always find it interesting when we're out, Scott, to have people look at you, you know. Mm. The, the the looks of the little kids especially you know and you call them your robot legs and um it's very good to educate people especially young people and then you're a fantastic role model for anyone with disabilities but you're a fantastic role model for people in general because yeah. you show us that it's life like even when you accept christ um and you know god is your savior you know there's still going to be parts in your life where there's going to be ups and downs and you've continued to give him credit you've continued to honor him you've continued to bless people with your story i mean you've told it to millions of people i talk about you all the time Mm -hmm. we're we're lucky to call you a friend you changed my life from the minute that i met you and and now i i love the fact that you can come visit with us and our family and our daughter and you could be like family to us so um I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. You know, there's, as we wrap this up, there's a book that I'm not a fan of because it's very secular. Um, and I'm kind of blasphemous, to be honest with you, in terms of the Bible, but it's called A Course in Miracles. And if I think anyone can teach what a real course in miracles is, it's you. Like you, your whole, like your whole story is just like one miracle after the other, after the other, after the other. It was about you leaning in, true surrender of of yourself to empty yourself, to let God fill in the parts and tell his story through your life. And um, man, it's, it is 
it is a true turned on life, like a truly intentional turned on life, someone that is fully connected to God so that he could really connect the dots in every area of your life and everybody you get to touch, which is millions of people. So Scott, we love you. Uh, we're so grateful for you and thank you for for being here with us today. Yeah, if you guys want to uh, book, book Scott for uh, speaking, I mean, he's a great uh, inspirational speaker. You go all over the place. You were just here speaking for Mercedes-Benz. So uh, where can they find you, Scott? What's the best place to get a hold of you? ScottRigsby.com. Just send me a, a quick email or you can find me on social media uh, on Facebook or Instagram and just uh, just shoot me a note. I'd love to come and share this uh, journey with you. Well, my friend, we thank you for coming here on the Turned On Podcast and blessing our listeners. We look forward to the next time you're here in Dallas to visit with us in person, and we hope that you continue to do things and inspire the world. So we'll see you guys next time here right here on the Turned On Podcast. Love y'all. Appreciate you.